You're listening to Napa Valley College Now on NapaBroadcasting.com. Welcome back to Napa Valley College Now on NapaBroadcasting.com. At a time when community colleges are ground zero in the discussion about higher education, Napa Valley College sits at a particularly unique place. In addition to its students looking to transfer, in addition to its many technical and career readiness programs, many of which we've talked about here on Napa Valley College Now, one program stands front and center with respect to Napa Valley College's location in the Napa Valley. If wineries and winemaking is an experiential exercise, then learning about wineries and viticulture technology is also experiential. The program at Napa Valley College continues to evolve as both a symbol of all the valley is about and a destination for folks who want to be part of this wine business. Much of that effort is now in the hands of a new leader, who is our guest today, Paul Gospodarsik. Paul, thanks so much for coming in. Oh, great to I be hope here. I pronounced your name it's, correctly. It's, it's always the perfect. challenge now. It's fairly phonetic, minus the yes. five consecutive consonants at the end. <laughs> hey, well, thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate it. You uh, came here, we were talking before we uh, went on the air, you came here from Chicago, not a place one thinks about as a wine capital these days. Talk a little bit about uh, how you wound up there and a little bit about this transition. Chicago is a great hub because it gives you access to everywhere. It's also one of the top wine markets in the United States. So there's a lot of great things. The truth of the matter is I was there because of my wife. She had a great job there. Um, working in healthcare, and for me, that was a basis to do my consulting. So I was doing tasting room, tasting training across the United States. I was also working in consulting wine capacity uh, east of the Rockies quite mm-hmm. significantly. And so for me, it was a really great hub. If you reviewed my taxes, I didn't earn any money in Illinois personally. <laughs> uh, but I do like my wife, and I like to see her on a daily basis. So, th- so that's the base of operations. And talk a little bit about your own personal journey in the wine business, how you got involved, really when? It started a long time ago, and it really started as a love of agriculture. So my best friend, uh, he had an apple orchard in a small town in rural Illinois where I grew up. It's called Dixon. It's the uh, county seat. It's the home of the Walgreens estate. We make Rainer garage doors, and that's it. That's all that really happens in Dixon. So a small town. Uh, I met him in the second grade, and throughout elementary school and through high school, we'd play in the orchard. We'd say we were working, but we were really playing. But I loved small-scale agriculture. I loved processing. I loved small business. And I really wanted to see myself do something along those lines. And so my idea originally was for them to make apple wine as a value-added extension to what they were already offering. And that idea maybe wasn't terribly interesting to them, but that's when it dawned on me. And this was my junior year of high school that maybe I could be a winemaker. And I started looking into it more, and I ended up getting my undergraduate degree in enology and eventually moved on to get a master's degree in agricultural education uh, with a strong focus in food science. Mm -hmm. And talk about that nexus between agriculture and winemaking, because it is both the the nexus of it and the debate about the two ends of it, really, or, or what this valley is all about in so many ways, and including some of the debates that exist and the conflicts that exist in this valley. Well, I think that you really hit it about them working together. I mean, the focus is really, to me, what I try to keep the focus on is creating the highest quality product to deliver to consumers. And, and I saw this in my own consulting that what companies – the beliefs companies had about their consumers uh, directly affected their pocketbook. I had a client in a really rural area of 3,000 people that only purchased high-end 
glassware really worked on some interesting projects and i just see that return time and time again so to me the focus is all keeping it on the customer and treating the customer with utmost respect and delivering the highest quality product and when we can get everyone on vision on board with that vision i think a lot of our management decisions become much easier but the key thing is getting everyone on board with that decision and the key thing is implementing a philosophy like that from the production to the vineyard and through all aspects of that and uh, so it does require some strategic management sometime um, and in your experience when you've seen it work not perfectly where does it go awry where, where does it fall apart sometimes well, well to me nothing ever works perfectly <laughs> we we've never made it and that's something that i love about the restaurant and i'm a sommelier as well mm-hmm. and that's something that i love about the restaurant industry is you're only as good as your last meal which allows you or forces you to always be strategic and develop and um, and be creative so for me uh, it's it's great to be happy with your work and what you did but that's always a st- the stepping stone to making it better and that's part of the reason i really love in being education is i get to keep that focus and i get to instill that focus in our up-and-coming seller hands laboratory technicians future winemakers just the constant drive to do better and talk about teaching young people mostly young people some of them a, a bit older about the wine business today and and really how it's different than when you first got involved in it because it has evolved in so many ways so it's interesting that you bring up our our student demographics first of all because we we have a huge range we've got a significant population of adult non-traditional learners and so i joke that my job is barely even teaching you know this isn't high school algebra for example this is people that want to be in your classroom that do what you say that focus on the assignments it's just a dream teaching job to work with this population Um, But what's really interesting is with the progression of the wine industry, every time we learn something new, we always forget something old. And so I've been trying to impress upon them, especially uh, some of the students that are closer to that traditional age, that having sweetness year-round, this is a more recent development. This is a, a byproduct of food preservation methods, of refrigeration development. But having a sweet product throughout most of history wasn't available. It was available in very specific times of the year. Uh, stainless steel is another newer development as far as the wine industry goes if we look at the course of the entire life of the wine industry and so before that barrels were a great way to store wine so the question is do we love wine because uh, do we love the flavor that barrels impart to our wine or do we love it because that was the only way to hold the wine throughout most of history without having it spoil Mm -hmm. so it's a constant evolution Um, So what I try to keep focused on in my classes is not only what's happening right now, but what's the historical premise for most of what we're doing. And how does that relate, do you think, to the mystique that sometimes surrounds wine? And let's face it, I mean, it's that mystique that really makes the valley what it is. I try to not focus on the mystique. I think most of the time, if we look hard enough, mystique can be explained some way or understood at a deeper level and so my focus is let's not teach the tricks of the trade let's teach the trade let's start at ground zero let's start with grapes let's work with inert gas cover covers on everything so nothing oxidizes but teaching the trade we've got a whole lifetime and i believe there is mystique i believe that there's stuff that we will never figure out about the wine industry just because it's such a complex medium and so it's that mystique that keeps me uh tied into the industry that i joke that the day i figure everything out is the day i'm retiring from the wine industry because there'll be nothing left to figure even if you get close to figuring out everything in the wine industry we get a whole new season with all new grapes that we've got to figure out how to make into the best wine possible Uh, so i really try to stay focused on that 
dynamic process. And again, just start at ground level, work up from there so that they have all the tools to understand the mystique and try to use science to inform that mystique and better Mm -hmm. understand wine. Where does science and technology fit into it? I mean, technology is in the name of the department, really. It's, it's winery and viticulture technology. How does that fit in, and how, do, how have advances in technology impacted the business of, of making wine? It's given us better insight into what goes wrong. It's given us a better idea of how to control what's going on. But what I love about it, and one of my messages that I reinforce through all my classes, is that wine is both quantitative and qualitative. So we can use science and technology and the lab to get all sorts of numbers about wine. But at the end of the day, we somehow have to connect those numbers, that quantitative information with qualitative information of how does the wine taste. This is one of the huge ironies of the wine industry. We have endless books written on how to make wine and what goes into phenolic chemistries and all these details about wine. But I have maybe a couple books, and I have most of the books on wine. I have maybe a couple books that are focused on how wine tastes. Uh, We even see that as a trend in research, is looking at differences between tasters, um, because it gets really hard to identify what good is. And this is another recurring theme of the program, is that it's easy to define what bad is. It's easy to define what a low quality is because it generally comes down to one single attribute. But defining what good is, defining what quality is, that becomes far more difficult. And we see this routinely with wine competitions. You know, we have lots of wine competitions because there's lots of great wines that get recognized. It's not like we could compress all those to one wine competition and have one supreme wine that beats out everything. It just doesn't exist. We've got a top tier. How does that coexist with trends in wine? I mean, whether it's, you know, more alcohol, less alcohol, more acidic, less. I mean, there are these trends that that the industry goes through and and critics feed into that and and, and buyers, of course, customers feed into that. How does that relate to to these quality issues that you're talking about? So there's quality that's defect-free, which is a very low bar. This is a wine that doesn't have any problems. But then there's quality of something that's actually supposed to be um, a remarkable product. And that does change. What's... uh, really glamorous at the time does change. But behind that, there's a philosophy that's generating that wine. There is um, science and combined with sensory analysis that is creating that wine. So, so to me, the goal is to see what's happening out in the market and uh, really aligning what the vineyard site can do with hopefully what the goals are and what's selling really well in the market. I mean, it's always shifting I think it's important. You have to make wine that sells. You have to make wine that people want to drink. But at the same time, there's a concept of being kind of true to what the winery is and true to what the vineyard is and hopefully being able to convince uh, the public and our customers of what we do and what truly makes us unique. It's interesting, particularly when you say that, thinking about the way the wine industry has expanded everywhere. And there's so much variety and so much opportunity out there. What well, used to be California and a few other states now, I mean, I don't think there's a state that doesn't try to have some small wine industry. Well, every state now has right. wine industries, and a lot of them are coming back to this core story of some relative making bad wine in a barn somewhere <laughs> in, in Crocs. Uh, interestingly enough, in my own past, my 
great-grandparents were moonshiners in Chicago during Prohibition. So I never really understood how they made a living. I knew there was a barber shop involved. I knew there was a penny candy store. But apparently, down in the basement of their building, they had a folding wall, and they had a still down there, and they were uh, moonshiners in, in Prohibition. So, yeah, it is growing. And what's really exciting about some of the non-traditional regions is they're engaging all new customers and they're bringing people into the wine industry that the traditional wine industry has never been able to um, cultivate relationships with. So they're taking people that are drinking uh, maybe cocktails, beer drinkers, and they're actually introducing them to wine. So it's really exciting to see what's happening in these states. And there's a number of consumers that are being drawn in based on sweet wines. But what we generally see, and I don't think this has to be the case, but what we generally see is over time people move from sweet wine to dry wine, Mm -hmm. which means all of these regions, uh, emerging regions, and all these new wineries that are getting people brought into the fold, if you will, uh, with some of these sweet wines, they're really laying the future for regions that are primarily producing dry wine. It's the future of California recruitment of mm-hmm. new guests. Does it take more skill to make wine or, or more creativity, I guess is, is the better description, in some of these other places that, that maybe in California or in the Napa Valley, you know, if you're a winemaker, it's easier because of the soil, because of the grapes, because of the vineyards. But if you're doing it in Virginia or Oregon or wherever it might be, that it's not it it doesn't come as naturally that it takes more skill to to bring that quality to the level that you're talking about there's a lot of vinifera grapes cabernet chardonnay that are begging to be made into wine and this isn't necessarily case as you're pointing out with a lot of these other grape varieties and so for me that was a really great channel uh challenge and it really forced me to relearn enology once i went from graduating with an enology degree and then i worked in New Zealand and I worked in Oregon and then I started working with a lot of wineries in non-traditional regions I had to relearn everything because nothing was straightforward so it was a huge challenge but again to me that's that's what I love that's what keeps me engaged in the game is the challenge and, and at that time it was vinifying grapes that uh, in some cases were only a couple years old now it's the challenge is how do I teach a a group of people about wine with hugely varied learning capacities. I love the challenge. Well, let's talk about that, not only in terms of their different learning capacities, but also in many cases they come from different places and they may be going back to different places, whether it's New Zealand or whether it's across the country or whatever. Talk about that challenge in teaching. Yeah, so there's the obvious of having students that are chemical engineers that have immigrated for this program versus students that have come right out of high school and are joining the program. So we have that within the class, but what that also brings with it on top of all the capacity, learning capacity issues, uh, we've got some pretty significant language barriers that we're dealing with as well. So for me, it creates a really exciting dynamic. And what I love about being here in the community college system is how many additional resources that we have to help some of these students through. Um, I love the community college system, and uh, to me, I want to be involved in the community college system because what the community college system does is it makes education inclusive. It provides an opportunity for everyone to get on board with education. So, yeah, there's some teaching, learning challenges, but um, we're hitting people that might not have opportunity to learn about viticulture and analogy otherwise. And talk about the challenge for you doing this here in the Napa Valley. Because that's a whole different 
aspect of it. I mean, you, you are surrounded by so many winemakers and so much talent and so much creativity. The idea of teaching and, and really seeing this program through in the Napa Valley has got to come with some, some challenges for you. Well, one benefit is the level of industry engagement in the program. And so there's a lot of people that are providing input, which naturally is challenging because there's a lot of different inputs. But at the same time, when we know what everyone is looking for, we can design a program that is most responsive to the industry needs. And again, to me, that's the benefit of the two-year college system is being responsive, being able to change quickly, being able to um, forecast trends or have our advisory board partners tell us about trends that are happening so that we can adequately prepare students for them and, and meet those. Mm-hmm. How many students roughly are in the program now, and, and, and where would you like to see it go? Well, how would you like to see it grow in the future? Our duplicated count right now is over 500 students. So we have night classes and multiple classrooms most mm-hmm. evenings except Friday. We have classes all afternoon. During the week, we have a full processing winery. My vision for the program of moving forward is responding to what the students need. And so to me, that's the that's been the source of success in consulting. It's not going in and telling other people what they need. It's going in and looking at their challenges, looking at their problems, and designing solutions that help accomplish those. So my focus and what I'm doing right now is I'm having the conversations with students and other faculty members and industry stakeholders of where are we and where's the future? What is the future for us? And and discerning that. So right now I'm in the discernment process because I think if we really focus on – meeting the needs of our students and meeting the needs of the industry, then growth is going to come by itself. What are you hearing from the industry? And I know it's early in the process and and you've been here a short time, but what are you hearing so far in terms of what the needs are? Well, there's a huge need of having employees that can add value. You know, it's not about our students just being able to go out and find jobs because the truth of the matter is Craigslist can help companies find jobs and they can help people find jobs. What we really need to focus on is adding value. So what we're trying to make sure is that we've got a really well-honed seller training program so that people can step into wineries and very quickly become proficient at operations. We're trying to make sure that our students can be proficient in the laboratory where they can run into most different labs and figure out how to run the analyses that the winemaker is ordering Um, and then also just a strong sensory background and so really it's proficiency oh and then mathematics that's been the other thing Uh, I before I came here I went back to my hometown and I tried to stop in my high school to tell my uh, geometry high school geometry teacher that I actually use the volume of a cylinder (laughs) on a daily basis now I he wasn't around but hopefully I'll be able to tell him in the future Um, so it's having students go in that can do the math do the labs do the seller operations and add value because that's the secret to getting the job to me that's the secret of keeping a job you mentioned uh, different languages talk about the international aspect of it and and probably you'll see more of that over uh, over the next few years yeah that's a growth area that we're really trying to work on is is promoting international collaborations and recruiting more students um what i find where i need to be a better teacher is that sometimes their conversational English will be really, really exceptional to the point where you might not even realize that they're not catching on to everything that you say or you're talking too fast. So it really comes down to some fundamental things. And what we see most of the time is that um, they do have a good grasp of English, but I need to be more careful with how fast I talk. (laughs) (laughs) 
and then what's more, what may not what's more important, but what is important is that I'm available. Because ultimately, students all have their own needs from this program, and that's going to come out to me, uh, to me in their time, not necessarily on my time or the result of a focus group. So to me, it's really being available. I spend a lot of extra time at the college. Students are getting to the point where we've built a certain amount of rapport and trust. So they're coming in and they're talking to me about what they want from the program. They're talking to me about their fears for the future and um, their questions of how to get started in the wine industry. So we're starting to get to that point where I'm learning a lot about the feedback from our students. And finally, personally, how are you like living in the Valley? I love it. I love it. Um, but I really love it because I feel so professionally fulfilled uh, by my job. Uh, the other night in class, there was some cleanup to do at the end of a class. I mean, it was probably 10 o'clock at night. And I said, if you worked 14 hours before you came in today, you can go and I'll take care of cleanup. My whole class walked out. <laughs> and so to me, I think we've just got some of the hardest working students that a person could ask for. They're dedicated. They want to learn. Uh, there's people that are trusting us to move up through the wine industry and keep their career going. And I love living in the Napa Valley because my job is so fulfilling to me right now. And then the fact that it's not going to be negative 20 here in a couple of weeks is really nice. That's too. a good thing, yes. too. <laughs> Paul Gospodarsik, I thank you so much for coming in and spending some time with us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. NapaBroadcasting.com the online radio home of Napa Valley College.